0: So why do people climb mountains? Why do you go up mountains? To get to the top. I like the view. You like the view. All right. All right. You just skipped my first paragraph. Absolutely. (laughs) Some people say exercise, but you can get that at any time fitness. Some people say sense of accomplishment. Just clean your closet and you can get that. Uh, But yeah, you absolutely, ultimately go, whether it's by foot or whether it's by car, uh, you like the view. There's a reason why when you drive out Mountain Rose Highway or you go up Donner, there will be vista points or scenic viewpoints. You want to see what things look like or you want to point things out. Uh, Case in point, Vicar and I went uh, uh, snowshoeing this week after, um, can you give me a control? There we go. Oh, all right. So, uh, So we went up and we were up on top of a little mountain and he wanted us to see something that's actually a a three-acre uh, vacant lot that could be a future location. So he says uh, he's pointing. All right, we want us to see something. Uh, today uh, we get to climb a mountain. Uh, it is the fifth of our of our five weeks looking at this uh, this series called Mountain Springs and Valleys, uh, which celebrates. Our joint ministry that we carry out with two other congregations here in the Reno area, Shepherd of the Mountains and the Springs. Obviously, we're the light of the valleys. Uh, but more importantly than celebrating our joint ministry, it is about Jesus' ministry. And as he walked around, as he preached, and as he taught uh, the truths of God's word, and many times we see Jesus going up into the mountains. Uh, sometimes, oftentimes, it's just by himself to pray, to get away. Uh, Today, we also see him go up a mountain, but this time he doesn't go by himself. He takes three people with him, Peter, James, and John, sometimes called the inner circle of his disciples. And it begs the question, you know, what does he want them to see? Uh, What is the view that he wants them to see as they go up that mountain, or maybe Better yet, to ask ourselves, what does Jesus want us to see? And that's really what that, that song that we just sang said. You know, what do you want us to see there that your close companions saw? So kind of keep that question in mind. What does Jesus want us to see on this Mount of Transfiguration? Uh, this account is one of the more visually descriptive sections of God's Word. Right, that opening verse where it says, There he was, transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I cannot say that verse without you painting a picture in your own mind. I guarantee it. You just, you just did something. You saw these white clothes in your mind. So it's very visually descriptive. And that word transfigured, this is why we call it Transfiguration Sunday. Uh, Coming from that word, he was transfigured. He changed in form. Now, I don't want you to go home with this impression that Jesus changed who he was. It's not like Jesus was just going around Israel trick-or-treating for 32 and a half years and now he takes his mask off and says, ah, see who I am? Or it's not like the end of Scooby-Doo where all of a sudden you see who the criminal is when they, when they pull the mask off at the end. No, he was and is 100% human. But ever since he took on flesh, which we just celebrated in Christmas, for the most part, it was only human Jesus that most of the people saw the god side or not that he was he was 100% human 100% god but most people saw this but now all of a sudden he he brings this this divinity this of of who he was to the forefront that's what he wants his disciples to see he wants them to see that that flip side of the coin you might say and it's not just for the disciples' sake. What does Jesus want us to see on this mountain? It's it's that very thing, too. And it's it's so timely uh, for us to do that today. Uh, we, you know, I, I mentioned before the service that this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Now, something like the church calendar, that's not in the Bible. Ash Wednesday is not in the Bible. But historically, and I, I like the way that they do this, is that Uh, historically, the Sunday before Ash Wednesday is always Transfiguration Sunday. Why? Because starting Ash Wednesday, we will really see the humility of Jesus, the humanness of Jesus on full display, right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, yeah, that's Christmas, but then suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. And and that's a beautiful thing to see the depths of his love. But transfiguration always takes us up here, and all of a sudden his love even becomes even deeper, right? To see that he didn't just start out neutral, but to see that he is and was 100% God at the same time. That's what transfiguration does. It reminds us, it, it really accentuates this extent of Jesus' love for you and for me, that he... He is 100% God at the same time that he's 100% human. And so that's one thing uh, that he wants us to see here on the Mount of Transfiguration. But that's not the only thing. You know, there's other things that the disciples see, and uh, one of the things that they see is that all of a sudden two other guys appear, right? Uh, Elijah Elijah and Moses uh, also appear there uh, talking with Jesus. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, is that there's no description of these two guys, right? Jesus, yeah, his hair is, is, is white and his clothes are bleached. You know, there's, there's no, oh yeah, then there's this guy holding these, ten, these two tablets of stone or there's no description of, you know, wearing blue jeans or a, a blue puffer vest or anything like that or, or there's, there's, no, there's no description of, of what kind of beards they had. And and, and why did we do that? You know, that maybe just seems insignificant that there's no description of Moses or Elijah. But there's actually a a little beautiful truth in there. That couldn't that be part of the joy of heaven? That no introductions were needed between Peter and these two guys. But he recognized them. That's Moses, that's Elijah. You know, when you, you fast forward to heaven, To you know, I think some of us get frustrated. Oh, uh, oh yeah, what's your name again? You know, uh, I can't put the name with the face. But in heaven, there's, there's not that going on. Part of the joy is just this, this, this unity and this closeness that I get to recognize people's names and faces right away without even needing name tags, right? No, no introductions needed. And, and I suppose that's a, a little bit of a, a beautiful thing of why Jesus wanted them to see here. They're, you could also ask, well, why exactly did Jesus want them to see these two guys? I, I mean, this is speculation, but I wonder if it's, it's just a little bit of a favor uh, that Jesus is doing for his inner circle, his close friends. Never, never take the human, the, 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 the compassion of Jesus for his friends. These are his inner circle. You know, it's like celebrity status, uh, I mean, yeah, they weren't glowing as much as Jesus was, but these guys were stars in their own right. Uh, remember who Moses was. He's that great prophet who, who not only had the, t- the two tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments given to him, he's the one that led God's people out of Egypt. He led them through that, dr- uh, through that Red Sea on dry ground. I mean, he is a celebrity. And, and Elijah, Elijah, one of the prophets, if not known as the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, uh, some of his highlights were maybe the, the big showdown that he had with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. So there they were, uh, the, the Baal prophets and Elijah, they're going to build altars, and they said, okay, whoever God sends down fire, that's the true God. And so the prophets of Baal built this altar, and they cried, and they cried, and they cried to their God, and Elijah's making fun of them, maybe he's deaf. Uh, and never answered, but then... Elijah builds an altar and he puts that slab of meat on and God sends down fire, consumes the meat, consumes the stones, consumes everything around it. And Elijah is seen as this hero, right? Or you heard, you heard in that that first lesson today that Elijah is one of those those two people that we hear of in scripture who escaped physical death as the chariots of fire just come and whisk him away. And, And so you have... You have these celebrities, and you, you can almost think about like if, if you have a friend that knows a celebrity, or if you know a celebrity, what do you do to your other friends? You say, hey, let me introduce you, right? That's a way of showing your love to them. You want, you want them to meet those people too, and you, can, you, you see that heart, that friend that, that, that Jesus cares for his guys, his three close friends says, let me, let me show you Moses and Elijah, and yet there's got to be more to it, right? Like I said, that's a little bit of speculation, but I, I think it's, it's valid because it, it, it shows a little bit of who Jesus is. But there's, there's more to it than just Jesus saying, hey, I want you three to meet you too. Because if we listen to what they're talking about, it says here they were just talking. The other gospel lessons from Matthew and Luke tell us that they were, they were talking about Jesus' departure. And you know, you, you just think about what this, of, of seeing Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about his departure, must have meant for the disciples later on in their ministry. You know, so much of the opposition against Jesus from like the, the spiritual leaders, guys like the Pharisees, they were, they'd come to Jesus, oh, you're, you're against Moses, you're not following the law of Moses. How Peter and James and John could say, oh, no. (laughs) Moses and Jesus are just like this, right? They are on the same page. I saw it with my two eyes. They're talking about his departure. Don't you think that Jesus is anti-Moses? Or you think of Elijah. Elijah, like I said, he's one of the prophets. Do you remember what the Bible, or what, what Jesus and the disciples called their Bible? They only had the Old Testament, but they didn't call it the Old Testament because there was no New Testament yet. What did they call it? They called it Moses and the prophets. And the fact that Moses and a prophet, if not the greatest prophet, were talking about Jesus' departure, what that must have meant is that all of the things that they were going to about see unfold, right? Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, they would know this was all in line with Moses and the prophets. That this was all according to plan. This wasn't just an accident, what Jesus was going through. And so you think about what that that says to us then. Why does Jesus want us to see Peter, James, and John talking and agreeing with Moses and the prophets? Doesn't that really add the way that you and I look at this half of the Bible? You know, when Jesus talks about his Bible, again, his Bible was only Moses and the prophets. His Bible was only the Old Testament. He says, these are the words that testify about me. And I think we need to be reminded of that. So often, I think we relegate the Old Testament to irrelevant. Or we say, well, it's only about genealogies, or it's only about rebellion, or it's only about songs, or it's only about census. This half of the Bible is about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus. And it really helps us to to treasure this half of the Bible as much as this half of the Bible. And so see Jesus. See what Jesus wants you to see on the mountain. A, see him in all of his glory. B, see him with a, a huge, teaching us to have a huge regard for his word and for his people. But then all of a sudden, the disciples don 't see anything anymore, right as as a as a cloud envelops them, and they're not able to see a thing, but all of a sudden their, their sense of sight gives way to their sense of hearing as they hear this booming voice, uh, "This is my son whom I love. Listen to him now to you and to me those that voice maybe sounds familiar that Those words maybe sound familiar as well. Where have we heard those before? It's baptism. When Jesus burst onto the scene at the Jordan River and he he entered into public ministry, the heavens tore open and you heard this big booming voice, this is my son whom I love. There it was a little bit different. It said, with him I am well pleased. Here it says, listen to him. Familiar to us. But why does Jesus want his disciples to hear this here? Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says the disciples were at Jesus' baptism. It was after he stepped into public ministry that he said, Hey, you guys follow me. So this was for their comfort. For them to, to hear that endorsement from God. I mean, it's not like anything that these disciples saw or heard that day created faith. It only confirmed their faith. I mean, you just have to go back a little ways and, and you would have heard a, a beautiful uh, conversation between Jesus and Peter say, hey, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, oh, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. So, so they already knew this. But now here, what they what they knew in their hearts, what they had already confessed with their lips, now gets confirmed with their eyes. And, and to hear this endorsement from, from God the Father, how, how that would have just added to that confirmation that this is the right guy that we're following. You know, I, this hasn't ever happened here unless some of you were involved uh, before I came here. Uh, But I I think the value of an endorsement, let's say uh, this is, uh, let's say I get hit by a bus on my way home from day, and you guys have to find a new pastor, all right? Um, What would you do next? Well, hopefully you have a funeral. But uh, uh, then then you'd say, okay, this is kind of the way we're set up in in our situation, is that you guys would get together, and you would say, okay, these are what the qualifications are we think we need for a pastor at Light of the Valleys. And you, you'd write those all down, and you'd hand them in to some district leaders, and then they would they would assemble a list of three, four, five, five people who maybe fit your qualifications. And then they'd come here, and they'd hand you these biographies, and then you'd be looking at them and and, uh, so, you know, somebody over here would say, oh, look, this guy is really ranked high in preaching. And then over here, somebody say, oh, look, this guy's really uh, high in counseling, or this guy's really good with youth, or, or look, this guy's got eight kids, let's get him so our church really grows fast, you know? And I've seen this play out numerous times. I used to lead these meetings in, a, in my former pastor life, and, and uh, all of a sudden, somebody whose voice carries a lot of weight will throw his endorsement to say, well, I like this guy because of this. And all of a sudden, the conversation stops. And unanimous, let's call that guy. And it's almost like EF, for old timers, EF Hutton speaks, you know, remember that? And everybody listens. Well, that's what God is doing here. Right? Imagine what, what those disciples heard this is the guy whom, whom god loves we should listen to him what a powerful endorsement and and that to know to hear god the father say this is this is my son that really adds weight to what we hear in the next verse The very next verse says, suddenly, and if if you've been with us at our Thursday morning Bible classes as we're going through the book of Mark, you know suddenly, or at once, or immediately, that's one of Mark's favorite words. He's an action-packed gospel writer, and he's like, suddenly, you know? Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And at first glance, that verse kind of says, oh, okay, show's over. Everything's back to normal. It's just Jesus. Not to the disciples. This is no longer just Jesus. And I wonder how often that's our approach. Oh, it's just Jesus. I was reminded of that this week. Um, We had our our piano tuned getting ready for for Easter season here. And uh, the piano tuner... uh, Finished all up, and then he said, do you want to play it just so it sounds right? And I'm, I don't, I'm not a great piano player, so I just played Jesus Christ is Risen Today. And I purposely opened up to an Easter hymn. And he was standing over here, and he said, oh, Jesus Christ is Risen Today. I'm like, oh, you know Jesus. All right, good. He said, yeah, yeah, he is a pretty good guy. He, he, he did it pretty well. You know, he lived a pretty good life. And came out, he was, he was Mormon, and that was kind of his approach to Jesus. And kind of hurt my heart, right? So yeah, Jesus, yeah, he's a pretty good guy. I wonder if that's our approach once in a while. That we see Jesus just as a good guy. He's more, so much more than that. Right? And the disciples knew that as they looked up and they saw Jesus, they were reminded that this is God. This isn't just some teacher. This isn't just some prophet. This isn't some agent of change. This isn't just some... Social influencer, and and it's a good reminder uh, for us that we don't just flippantly throw Jesus' name around, or that we don't joke about Him, or how often don't we fail to think about Him in our life? You know, we don't think about Him when we take a job or when we move somewhere. We just—that's always secondary or thirdly. Yeah. No, but look who this is. This is God. This is God's son. Let's listen to him. When we see Jesus up here, it just makes everything else that we see him do and how far he went so much greater. You know that we don't just see Jesus as God, but it really enhances our view of him as our savior. Uh, to see that he, he left the, the cloud of glory on Mount Transfiguration to do what? To climb a Mount of Calvary where he'd be under the cloud of God's wrath. Uh, or, or where we see him here on Mount Transfiguration hanging out with the who's who of the Bible. And what does he do? He trades that in to hang on a cross where his own dad says, Who are you? as he's forsaken for our sake. You see his face glowing in all this glory, and yet he trades it in, because he's all in, for you and for me. And then he has the wherewithal to tell his disciples, and guys, don't, don't share your story until I've accomplished all that. Don't, don't say what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Ah, what a glorious way to end this glorious account in Mark's gospel. The resurrection. The resurrection. You go back to something else in the Bible. It says, do you know what actually shows Jesus to be the most powerful Person, God in the world. It's not the glowing face. It's not that he's got glamorous friends. It's not that he's got the endorsement from God himself. Romans 1 says, He was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection. Something that's only possible because of who He was here. This glorious Jesus who came off the Mount of Transfiguration for you and for me. So see. See Jesus for the way he wants you to see him. See him for who he is, and I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed by that view. Amen. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.